We're in our sermon series. We're wrapping it up really today and moved into the neighborhood. We'll be talking a little bit about it on Christmas Eve if you join us or Christmas Eve Eve. In the time when Jesus was walking on the earth, no one, no one, no one disputed that he was a man. He did the things that people do. He spit. He, he, he slept. He got thirsty. He was hungry. He took naps. I, 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 sometimes when Carla wants me, you know, I'm supposed to be mowing the grass or this time of the year, you know, shoveling the snow and I want to take a nap. She says, Rob, what are you doing? You're taking a nap. And I said, listen, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. You know, let me be like Jesus. It usually doesn't cut it with her. <laughs> the original Nazarene napper was Jesus. But he got angry. Usually with those people who were, thought they were so tight with God, he'd get angry. And of course, at least on one occasion, maybe more, we're told that he went out to a seminary of a friend, like many of us have done at some point in our life, and Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. And when he was struck, and when he was beaten, and when he was nailed to a cross, he bled and he died. In every way, Jesus was like us. Except sin. Jesus fully shared in our humanity. He's one of us. So who moved into the neighborhood? Somebody just like us. In order to do something about the human problem, which is sin, Jesus, remember, he came to save his people from their sin. Purpose, that was his purpose. In order to do something about our sin, Jesus had to be human. He had to be present in this world. The author of Hebrews said he, would, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way. Only a few fully human savior could save us in our full humanity and redeem us from our sins. Who moved into the neighborhood? Someone just like us. See, the truth of the incarnation, God became man, it causes a bit of a tension. Jesus is God Almighty. We talked about it last week. God with us, Emmanuel, God Almighty. Timpani, boom, boom, boom. But at the same time, Jesus is the Son of Man. Just like us, the incarnation. The incarnation has always uh, created some tension. In fact, the first three, four, five hundred years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the church wrestled with what does it mean to have a fully God, fully man Savior? How does this work? It created heresies that, that wrapped around the church for those first couple hundred years. The one of those uh, heresies is called adoptionism. You're getting your theological lesson today. Adoptionism was basically saying that Jesus was adopted by God. That Jesus was empowered by God. That Jesus was a man. A really, 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 really good man. But come on. <laughs> he wasn't God. <laughs> Adoptionism. The exact opposite of that, the other extreme of that, is docetism. Another heresy. And that heresy is the opposite of adoptionism. It said that Jesus only appeared to be human. He looked human. He acted human. No, he acted thirsty, he acted hungry, but come on. God Almighty suffering on a cross, come on. He looked like he did, but it was a disguise. And so the early church, they wrestled, wrestled. What does it mean to have a fully God, fully man? 
And they, they came down to, to what we proclaim. We don't proclaim it enough around here. I suppose we, we probably should do more. Maybe even today we should have. But the Apostles' Creed. That said, we believe in Jesus Christ. His only Son. Our Lord. Who is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. Fully man. Fully, fully man. The third day, he rose again from the dead and he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And there he will judge the living and the dead. Fully God. That's who we, that's who came to this earth. Oh, pastor, this is all theological gobbledygook. It doesn't have help me with my stuff going on today. Okay, who moved in the neighborhood? Someone just like us. That's the biggie, I think, really. Jesus is someone just like us. He, here, he knows what it is to be you. You at home, he knows what it is to be you. With all your struggles and all your worries and all your burdens. I love the way Matthew begins the story. I said Matthew began the story with, with you know, Jesus is the story of Jesus the Messiah. But really, that's in verse 18. Really, Matthew begins, Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, begins with that passage that we always skip over. The begats, you, you, you know that. The book of the generation, I read it in, in the King James Version because it uses the word begat. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Judas begat Pharaoh, Pharaoh and Sarah and Thamar and Pharaoh begat Esau and Esau. Ah, blah, 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 you're killing me. Matthew began there because anyone in the first century, remember that's who Matthew was writing to, Jews in the first century, 25, 30 years after Jesus was born. That's who he's not people in Flint, Michigan in 2020 dealing with the pandemic. He's writing to Jews in the first century. And Jews in the first century would say, you could tell a whole lot about a fella by, the, by who's in his family tree. If you want to know how great a person is, show me the men in his, his ancestors. Not the females, the men. And that's what makes Matthew's telling of this so interesting because he includes five women. Mary, of course, of course you'd include Mary, his mother. But the other four are, are ladies that, well, you'd probably want to sweep their story under the rug if you're telling your family story. You know, but there they are. It's, it's Tamar in verse 3 and Ruth and Rahab in verse 5 and Bathsheba, although she's not even named Bathsheba, just Uriah's wife in, in, in verse 6. Why would he claim those four shady women? I'm glad we don't have time. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this because I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because it's not, they're not great stories. Tamar's story is one of the strangest stories in the whole Bible. It's in Genesis 38. You can read it. I don't want to tell you it. It's a terrible story. It's not rated PG, PG. It's rated R. It's a rated R story in the Bible. She prostitutes herself with her father-in-law. Yuck, 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 blah, blah, blah. That's all I'm going to say about it. And Rahab, she was a Canaanite. You remember, Canaanites were terrible, awful, awful, awful. Rahab, I mean, I mean, after Rahab was Ruth, she was worse. A Moabite, who would include a Moabite? You know, the Moabites were the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. The lowest of the low. Ixnay on the Moabites, eh? That's my pig Latin. <laughs> and then, of course, there's, there's Bathsheba. You know her story. Ah, the adulterous affair. Usually David takes the heat for that, but as you all know, it takes two to tango. There she is. What's the point? Why would Matthew include these women? 
Jesus is one of us. You, got a, you think you've got a messy family? <laughs> Jesus would say, join the club. You think you have pa- family issues? We don't have the time to go into it, but Jesus' family, when he was in ministry, they did not think that he was the son of God. I can tell you that. They thought he was crazy. You think you've got fa- Jesus say, join the club. Jesus is one of us. You know, we've been doing the community Bible read these last two years. We're done now in the fall. We wrapped it up through the Bible. We're, I think we're going to start it up again. Um, and maybe January, February. Here's your commercial. If you didn't do the community Bible read, those four books that, that contain the, the Bible and you get together with a group of people and you just discuss it, I really encourage you that you do it this time around. And you go through the Bible in two years. You take eight-week chunks and you read chunks of the Bible I really liked it. And so we're going to do it again. I don't know exactly when. It'll depend partly on the virus and where we're at. But either January, late January, February, something like that. Because you really need to be together. You can do it Zoom, but it's better when you're together. Anyway. Well, in, that book, in those books, the first book, which we'll get back to, it covers the first uh, ten books in the Old Testament. Genesis through, through Kings. And those are exciting books, Right? You know, Genesis through Kings, it's got creation and the flood and the Tower of Babel and Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt and, and Joseph and the boys and, and Moses and the Exodus and, and Joshua conquering the land and then all the crazy judges and King David and Goliath and all oh, exciting, exciting stuff. But when you get about halfway through that book, and if you've ever read the Bible through, you know how this works. You get halfway through those first few books, you get to Leviticus. Oh, Leviticus. Why do we have to read Leviticus? You know, you just kind of plow through. Uh, uh, uh. Why does God care about how we prepare meat? And what do we do with livestock? And why does he include stuff about women's menstrual cycle? Why does all of that in there? It's embarrassing. Why is that even in the Bible? Ah! There's something earthy to Leviticus. What does this have to do with Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because God cares about what happens in the kitchen and in the bedroom and in the bathroom and that's where we spend most of our life is in our house, not in the sanctuary. We don't spend most of our life in a chapel singing Gregorian chants. No, we spend it in, 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 in our houses. And you at home, you've been quarantined at home. You know, you know every nook and cranny. You're sick of your house right about now. You know, we spend way more time there than here. We spend way more time in the real world than in here. And Leviticus says that there's a God that cares about the ordinary. Those things that you think, oh, why even include that in the Bible? There's a God that cares about the ordinary, everyday things of life. And then Jesus comes along. Who shows us that even better than Leviticus ever could. Who gives us a flesh and blood example. This is what it is to go through life. When you're tired, when you're weary, even when you're beaten and killed. See, God is concerned about how we live. God doesn't just care about your soul. He cares about how you live here and now. And that's what Jesus lived out. Eugene Peterson said, my favorite uh, translation in that whole thing is, is John 1.14, which I think it is. You know, the word became flesh and blood, moved into our neighborhood. My second favorite, you know what my second favorite translation in that whole Bible, uh, his translation of the Bible in the Message Version, it's Romans 12, 1 and 2. And this is what he says there. This is Paul, Paul's words, Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
And he says this, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Oh, I love that. An utterly ordinary carpenter from the backwoods town called Nazareth moved into our neighborhood. So utterly ordinary people like you and me in our ordinary lives are eating and sleeping and going to work and walking around lives might experience Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, who is one of us. He moved into our neighborhood. So he knows us. He knows our worst fears and our worries and our burdens. He knows what it is to be tempted The author of Hebrews put it this way, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive the mercy and find grace to help us in our time of... Jesus is one of us. He knows what you're going through. Fully God, fully man, moved into the neighborhood. He knows what it is to be you. Jesus knows. Oh, no one knows what it is to live in my house. Not with my kids, not with my neighborhood, not with my... He knows. No one knows my fears. He knows. No one knows my birth. He knows. No one knows how I stay up at night and I'm crying myself to sleep because of this burden or that one. He knows. No one knows my loneliness, my sickness, my heartache, my abuse, my mental state, my suicidal thoughts, my jumbled up brain. He knows. He knows. And do not think, Don, even for a second that that has put him off. He knows you and he loves you. Maybe I can best explain telling the story of ancient history, 1986. 1986, I was a seminary student in Kansas City. I was putting myself through seminary by working at the Nazarene Publishing House, uh, which was also located in Kansas City. They're the ones who published my book, Chronic Pain. I like to joke. I don't think they think it's a joke. I don't know. One of the last books they published before going belly up was Chronic Pain. So my Chronic Pain caused them more Chronic Pain than they thought, I guess. But back then, I was working, and I, didn't have, I wasn't an editor. I didn't have some fancy job. I, I was a janitor. I cleaned toilets. So important, which, which was so distressing to me then because on Christmas Eve, they said there had to be a janitor there until, you know, to turn out everything and get everything closed up. And I was low man on the totem pole, and so I had to stick around on Christmas Eve. Oh, that did not make me happy. To make matters worse, the last flight out of Kansas City to Detroit happened about an hour before my shift ended. Can I leave an hour, two hours early? No. (laughs) Gotta be here. Oh, that did not make me happy. Carla and I had dated for a year and a half. We broke up for a year and a half. And we just started to like each other again. And I was planning on seeing her, and I hadn't seen her. You know, we'd just been talking on the phone again, and this Christmas was supposed to be, you know, romance. 
And they said, no, you cannot leave. I was not happy. I was, I was so unhappy. And I got out of work and all my friends were gone. Every single person that I knew in Kansas City, I, would, I thought was, was gone. And so at the time, I was also working at the Kansas City Rescue Mission. I would go there on the weekends. Saturday mornings, we'd play basketball in the winter, play softball in the summer, things like that. On Sundays, I would pick up whoever, whoever wasn't too hungover and I'd take them to church and, we'd, and they'd all sleep in the back row and I'd sit there with them. And Sunday night, I'd go back and, and just kind of hang out. So I thought, well, I'll go down to the rescue mission. That's what I'll do. I know those guys, I'll hang out there. But I really, I, you know, I was just so, I was in such a bad mood. I didn't want to go, I went down there. And I, and I walked through the doors, and usually, you know, I'd be cutting up with the guys and carrying on, but I just, I just went in the back of the chapel and I'd sit on the back row, folded my arms, I was so, you know, this place stinks. And it did stink, there was a mission smell to it. it didn't smell like my mom's house, like gingerbread or anything like that at all, it stunk. And there was a guy playing Silent Night, he was, let me just say this, he was not Diane Nelson, all right? He wasn't even, he wasn't even me. He was horrible. I don't even know how I could tell that it was Silent Night. He was plunking something out on the thing. I go, I guess it must be. This stinks, this place stinks. The guy's horrible. Joe Calese is the director of the, of the mission, and he got up to lead that service. And we sang a couple of horrible songs with that guy, you know, Joy to the, how do you sing Joy to the World with somebody who doesn't know how to play the piano? I don't know, it was terrible. And he's saying, Hark the Herald, just like what we did here. Hark the Herald Angel sings again. Horrible, 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 horrible. And I'm sitting in the back, and this is horrible. And then Joe got up to, to speak. And all he did, all he did was read, he, all he did was read Luke 2. He began to read Luke 2. All I heard was the beginning of Luke 2. And it came to pass, in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. And I'm sitting in my back pew, my arms folded, mad at everything. Mad at the publishing house for not letting me go home. Mad at the airlines for not having a later flight. Probably mad at God. And God said, Rob, what in the world are you mad about? You big dummy. I don't know if he said big dummy, but I heard big dummy. What in the world are you mad about? You're going to be home tomorrow. You're going to see Carla. You're going to have a Christmas. Look around. These guys, this is their Christmas. We gave, them, we gave them a stocking cap. I shouldn't tell you this. Nazarene. All right, I'll tell you what we gave them. We gave them a stocking cap, a pair of socks, and a pack of smokes. I know, it's a Nazarene place. We gave them a pack of smokes. They were most happy about the pack of smokes. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I'm just being totally honest what happened. But I'm watching them receive those three, you know, what does those things add up to? Less than $10. Back in those days, I don't know what a pack of smokes cost today. It's less than $10, probably less than $5. The churches in the area gave everything but the smokes. <laughs> and those guys were happy. And the Lord is saying, listen, Rob, I came to this world, far stinkier place than this mission. It was a stable, if you remember. And I came to this world for people who were right in this room. Look around you. 
And I tell you that because, you know, it's so easy. 2020, it is so easy to look around us and say, oh man, I can't celebrate Christmas this year. You know, things are different. Traditions are different. My kids can't do this and I can't do that. Everything, and you know, when our, our Christmas Eve schedule is, you know, we've got two, instead of one huge Christmas Eve service, we've got two with 20% capacity in here. And Wednesday, there's still room on Wednesday, and people will be wearing masks and all the rest. Blah, 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 grump, 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 grump. Or we can say, you know what? Jesus came for times like this. You want to know why Jesus came? It's for earthy down-to-earth times like this. Jesus is one of us. He knows what you're going through. And he came for Christmases just like this when things don't go. Perfectly. I heard a story, I think it's true, about a seminary student just like me. I was working at kind of like a mission. It was a homeless center. They didn't have shelter, but they had, um, you know, they had counseling and they had job training and they had food distribution, medical services, things. It was kind of like Eastside Mission. And this, this student was working at, it was a Jesuit center. He was working there uh, for the summer, summer internship. And they were about, it was a long day. You know, they were open all day and they'd close at night. It was a long day, and they'd done all sorts of stuff, and they're closing up at night, the student and, and one of the old priests that were there. And as they were locking the doors, they were locking the door, they saw this old bag lady kind of making her way down the, down the sidewalk. He knew, the student knew he, she was coming there. They said, oh, no, not another one. Jesus Christ. He said it just like that. And that old priest, without missing a beat, said, could be. <laughs> Jesus came into this world, became one of us, so that we might, we might experience him from the inside out. That's the whole point. And we can, we can look at all the negative things, all the terrible things, all the this and that. But the point is, Jesus came for times just like this. And notice what Jesus did. Have you ever think about what did Jesus do when he, came, when he was here in those three years of ministry? What did Jesus do? He was one of us. What did he do? Well, he hung out with people an awful lot. I know, he took retreats and he got away from people and he prayed a lot and he took naps. I get all that. But, but he hung out with people. And usually, usually it wasn't behind stained glass windows. I know, they didn't have stained glass windows. We don't either, but you know what I mean. The only time, the only time that I can recall, maybe it was another time, the only time that I recall that he was actually involved in a service in a synagogue or the temple was at the very beginning of his ministry when he got up, read the scripture, sat down, said, hey, you know that scripture I just read? is about me. Most every other time that he was at the temple or synagogue, he was, you know, healing people, breaking the Sabbath, flipping over tables, stuff like that. What Jesus was doing was he was going to the hurting. Uh, he was spending time with the tax collectors and sinners. He was, he was going to the broken. He was 
he was caring for those that the rest of the world didn't care about. What's my point? My point is, we say we want to be like Jesus. We say that's our mission, our goal, to make Christ like, like disciples in the nations, influent as it is in heaven. We say that all the time. Well, it seems to me that if we want to be like Jesus, we need to act like Jesus. Do what Jesus did. Now listen, I love, I, love, I love gatherings like this, especially at Christmas time. I love all the Christmas lights and candles and all that. I love, I love our Christmas Eve service. It's going to be awesome. Dave Potts is singing. I heard the bells on Christmas. The, the, the young lady singing, Oh Holy Night. Oh, wow. I, it's worth coming just for that. It's awesome. As a former student of, of, of Nate's, and she's a student now in Bowling Green, studying opera, and whoa, I heard her practice. I love all that. But, but you know what else? I love serving people. It's not surprising to me that God spoke to me 34 years ago in that mission when I was pouting, because often God speaks to us when we're serving others. Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Savior, God with us, one of us. He came and he speaks to us when we're doing what he does. Jesus knows what it is to be like you. He knows what it is to be somebody that needs help. And we're most like Jesus. Not, not, not when we're singing Silent Night and holding our candles, even though I love that on Christmas Eve. We're most like Jesus when we're forgetting about our problems and our troubles and our worries and our burdens and start thinking about others. When we get our minds off of our light and momentary burdens, as how Paul described his, which were not light or momentary, and start thinking about others. We are most like Jesus when we're helping others. Who are, who are you reaching out to during this time of pandemic? Well, I don't know anybody. Well, then that's maybe that's part of our problem. We're most like Jesus when we're doing what Jesus does. All right, here are your takeaways for the ser- sermon. We've got to wrap this in. Who moved into the neighborhood? The Messiah, the Savior, God with us, no doubt about it, but Jesus who is one of us. Someone who knows exactly what we're going through. Someone who... who, 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 who who promises that he'll never leave us in in spite of what we're going through. Someone who has offered us his strength when we're going through those challenging times. Oh, I wish we would rely on his strength more and more and more. In In a pandemic, he's our strength. In a pandemic, he's our help. In a pandemic, he's what will get us through. Whatever you're going through, it's leaning, trusting on him. That's, that's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two is that if we really want to be like Jesus... I mean, really want to be like Jesus. If that's our goal, make Christ like disciples in the nations, influent as it is in heaven, then, we, then we've got to get our eyes off of ourselves and off of our worries and off of our problems and onto Jesus. And we'll see when we do that. We'll see how, how our problems and our worries and our troubles, what's the old hymn say? Grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.